Hello there, hockey players and families, and welcome to our first episode of the Inside Edge podcast. This is a feature that is part of TPH Virtual Hockey Development, a concept we recently launched for student-athletes, hockey players, their families in response to the COVID-19 situation, which has obviously presented a lot of challenges to not just hockey players, but people all across the world. This is episode number one, titled Catching the Scout's Eye. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Inside Edge. What we're doing with this concept is we're attempting to bring together some of our most knowledgeable, passionate team members to share really invaluable insights to hockey players and families. These episodes will feature TPH team members who are former hockey players, coaches, scouts, executives, and administrators in the game today. We'll also feature some quality hockey people from outside TPH who have a positive message to share. That's basically the criteria for anything we do with Inside Edge. Is there a positive message to share that could positively impact the lives of our student athletes, our hockey players, and their families. This week, as I mentioned, our first episode is titled Catching the Scout's Eye. Today, we bring together two of our TPH team members who work for our company, but are also successful and established at not just identifying talent, but building successful teams in junior hockey a level that most of our student athletes are trying to get to. And they're successful in the North American League, which most of us would agree. The NAHL is one of the top two to three leagues in North America for aspiring Division I college players. This week, we have Steve Jennings, who's our Director of Hockey Operations for TPH Nashville, Steve also serves as the head coach of our Nashville Junior Predators 18U AAA team. In addition to that, Steve has been scouting, evaluating talent, and building teams at the junior level since the mid-2000s. He served in a scouting capacity for Santa Fe and Topeka of the North American League and has been an extremely invaluable person to the Aberdeen Wings in the North American League who have been one of the most successful tier two junior organizations over the last few seasons. We have Mike Gratton, whose scouting career started ironically back with me in around 2010 with the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders. Also, to add to the irony, uh, Mike spent three years working for Aberdeen in the North American League, first as the head scout and then an assistant coach and director of scouting. And then Mike went on, as did I, to Shreveport in the North American League to start an expansion team in 2016. Now, here's another thing Mike and Steve both have in common. The last two Robertson Cup championships that have been awarded in the North American League, Mike and Steve have been a part of. Mike with Shreveport as director of scouting in 2018, and Steve with Aberdeen in 2019. So these are not only two TPH team winners on the, uh, or uh, team players on the podcast today, but these are two individuals who work at a level that most of our audience is trying to get to. And they've also 
won championships in the league. So two pretty good guys to, uh, to start inside edge off with a bang with. Steve, Mike, great to have you guys. Uh, as you both know, I, I want this to be very informal, certainly more of a, of a discussion than an interview. Um, I will get things started off. Steve, I'll go to you first. Obviously, this COVID-19 situ situation has presented a lot of challenges. It's forcing not just hockey players, but people all around the world, as we said, right off the hop to adapt and, and figure out ways to get creative to, to keep their lives going. So right out of the gate, I'll go to you and then Mike. There's a lot of hockey players out there that, that want to play in the North American League, that, that, that want to play junior hockey, that want to have a successful season next year whenever it arrives. What advice would you give those players right now dealing with COVID-19 to keep their hockey going? And I'll let you go wherever you want with your answer. Okay. Well, thanks, Francis. Well, first up, I want to say thanks for that uh, intro. I kind of feel like I'm done after the intro, but um, <laughs> you know, it's re really good to hear. And it's great to be able to spend time with you guys. I wish we were face-to-face -face with each other. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think this is a challenging environment for us all to be in, right? We are, we are faced with doing things in our day-to-day -day lives in a new and completely different fashion. If we went back in time nine months ago and said, hey, you know, we're going to get to a point where you're going to have to live your day completely differently. And, and, you know, just getting out of the house is going to be a big deal. Um, most people would have told you, you know, you're cracked. That's ne just never going to happen. Um, and, and as you look and see what we've done as a society and adapted and how we've quickly gone through that and found ways to kind of still be productive and found ways to still take on our lives and grow educationally and in business and things like that, people have found a way to adapt by doing things maybe a little differently. And I think that that message really for kids looking to, to jump into junior hockey this year in particular, that's an important message. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, being open to doing things differently and, and some of that is, you know, the good news, bad news is, uh, you know, the camp cycle is being affected. Mm -hmm. So kids are going to have to be willing to do things in terms of the player procurement side from the player side a little differently. You're not right. going to I foresee a time where we're not going to be able to run and, and take a kid through multiple camps. You might have to pick the one or two camps and really go and try to have an event. So the big thing for you right now, you know, and I would say this to my own son, if he were going through this process is first off, you, you got to stay up and in shape workout. Mm -hmm. Right. We all can be creative with what we have. Um, you know, you can make resistance bands out of bungee cords you can do different things to try to help give yourself an edge but you've got to make sure that as a as a player and an aspiring player to a very high level that you're doing a lot to actually try to advance yourself for the day when you do get out of your house for the day when you do get back to the rink and you're at a trial camp so you know staying up with the workout staying in shape doing every bit of that that you can and being creative. Some, you know, you may have to do more push-ups than you've ever done in your life. You may have to find a way to do pull-ups off of a tree branch or things like that, but being creative to keep yourself pushing there. That's the physical side. The mental side is equally big, right? Work on your IQ. Um, mm -hmm. Here at the Junior Preds, we use Iceberg. So I've been talking to all of our players, like this is a great time for you to go back. Look at your shifts from the year. 
call me. Let's go over some of your shifts. We'll talk about IQ differences and plays and things like that that we can work on. Um, and outside of the IQ, just in terms of the game, I think it's the mental game as well. So taking some time to read a book like Saul Miller's Hockey Tough or um, The Champion's Mind to work on the mental side because kids jumping from minor hockey into junior hockey drastically and consistently underestimate the mental adjustment that that is fighting for a lineup spot on Friday night, the grind of a, of a season, you know, day-to-day practices and workouts and things like that, that we've all done in minor hockey, but the level of intensity, the frequency that all goes up and it becomes a, a bit of a, of a drag on kids. So the more you can do right now to prep yourself and become a really good student of the game of your game and of the mental side of the game is going to be really important. So I want to take all the mics thunder. So I'll kick it over to Mike. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, Steve. And, and, and for those of you out there who don't know, uh, Steve graduated from played hockey and captained uh, the Naval Academy uh, hockey program. And I'll steal a line from the, the U S Marines. One of my favorite lines is Marines make do. And that's certainly what all of us out there in the real world are trying to do during COVID-19. We in TPH have, have launched this concept, virtual hockey development, through a private Facebook group to continue to educate our student athletes and give them an option to do off-ice training five days a week from home. Uh, we have a lot of cool concepts. I guess that was my attempt at trying to make a plug for our company, so my boss is happy. But, Mike, I'll, I'll go to you. Let's, let's word it this way to you. Um, you know, you have players in Shreveport that are moving on. Uh, you have players in Shreveport that want to come back next year. You have players you've tendered, players that, that hope to be drafted by you, hope to be invited to your camp. What are you telling them right now? Well, the, you know, as much as everything in the society has changed and uh, as much as everything is different, and Steve touched on a lot of those things, the, the reality is that really pretty close to on schedule, the season has ended. Yeah. Uh, and now you're going into your summer routine. So uh, of all the things that have changed, there are a few things that have not. Uh, and one of them is you're now faced with an off season where you're going to have to do things differently. You, you may not be able to go to the gym. Uh, if you can go to the gym, it may not be the responsible thing to do, depending on your living arrangement. Uh, some of our players might live with people who, who have an issue, uh, who might be uh, more susceptible to, to a problem. It's just, you know, being a young person, uh, thankfully and luckily, uh, this particular illness has not uh, been as damaging so far to, to the younger people. Uh, but depending on who they live with, they may have to, they may have to be more careful with their day-to-day lives. So like Steve said, it's all about being creative. Uh, but, but for me, it's really doing something and and making sure that hey wait a second yeah my season may have ended early but it it ended fairly close to one time and now you're going into a process where you're not going to be able to do the normal things that you do but you have to be doing a lot of things so uh what you mentioned with tph uh we've recommended our players follow that we give our players a summer workout we're recommending that they do that uh most of our players have chosen their college or their colleges have chosen them and they've worked on it together. So they will get packages from them, but they're always included and welcome uh, to use the things that, that we put out. Uh, and then really to build on something that Steve said um, about 
the mental side of the game. You know, when I first started, Frank, back in 2010, man, I felt like I could see and I could tell players that had a favorite player because they played like them. They had body language like them. And as time has gone on, I've, I've noticed less and less mm-hmm. a, a, a connection like that. I don't know if our kids are watching the game as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many good stories of the teams that have won championships, uh, the, the Islanders in the 80s, the Oilers, uh, the, the Penguins, the Red Wings. There's so many good documentaries available uh, to show the difficult path that a team and an individual has to go through to be successful. So uh, I really think of studying and a learning of the game in, in combination with finding creative ways uh, to train at home. Uh, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to get closer to your family uh, in a way that we, that we don't normally do now anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity to kind of think, think a little differently about training and connect to the game. Uh, a little bit. And I think those are the things that uh, those are the things we're trying to encourage our players to do. Right. I wanted to start out with that question just as an icebreaker because so many hockey players and again, people for that matter, just have had to had to adapt. And I think that's great insight. I could probably come up with a couple follow ups on on that point. But I want to transition now into the meat of the conversation, which is what you guys look for when you're evaluating hockey players throughout the season, whether it's in person, on video, et cetera. Um, You know, we talk a lot. I talk a lot with our TPH athletes and the players I coach and have coached about the three controllables being work ethic, preparation, and attitude with work ethic at the top of the list. You know, Steve, some of the buzzwords in hockey, uh, work hard, play hard, compete, passion, jam, juice, there's, there's so many different words we use to describe work ethic in a hockey player, not just on the ice, but off the ice as well. Steve, as an evaluator, I, I think this is something we don't talk enough about. In hockey terms, what the heck does compete mean for you? Um, it's a great question, right? And it, actually, for me, it's something I make notes on all the time. And it's really, I understand between my ears what that means. And articulating it sometimes is a little difficult, right? But th- this has been a great thing for me to get, a uh, great challenge for me to put it down on, on paper here or, you know, get, get, my, get my thoughts together, right? It's really about, I, I, I think, intensity, right? And when I go, the, the, the challenge I have as, a, as, as an evaluator is I don't often get to go watch a player practice. I love the chances to do it when I can, and I – never turn down that opportunity just doesn't really always work out that way but you know it's that intensity around the game that i i look for in a player and it's all about things you know that the fundamental is in and around their ship so so picture if you will a face-off starting like i I look at compete right away like i'm looking at five players or ten players on the ice right depending if i'm if i'm isolating on a team or or just watching the game right and I'm often intrigued by the kid that I will see standing at a face-off who looks like he's standing on a street corner. <laughs> yep, yep. Right? So that, for me, right there is a kid that where I go, I'm not sure how competitive this kid is. And then, I, you know, I also watch how they play with and away from the puck, right? So kid who, kid who turns the puck over on the half wall, right? Like, so that, those are going to happen. The hockey is a game of mistakes. And, and the, the question isn't about – 
you know, do you make mistakes? For me, a lot of times it's what do you do when you do make a mistake? Like, do you make a mess and clean it up yourself or do you make a mess and let somebody else do that? So the kids who stop moving their feet, bad stick position, right? Stand up and they just, they're rolling their, rolling their shoulders or yelling at the sky or something like that. That is lack of compete there versus the true competitor who, hey, the puck turns over and it's a hard stop and start going back the other way, stick on puck, hunting back, trying to make sure that his mistake doesn't lead to a lead to a goal against for his team. That's it in a nutshell. Or the kid who will in a 50-50 race, this is the other one. I always, I love watching 50-50 pucks, right? Just what happens? Is, is there a kid who's eyeing it saying this one, there might be a little boo-boo or an ouchie associated with this if I'm first to the puck, so I'm going to let the other guy touch it first, right. and, then, and then I'll deal with it, right? That's compete for me. And, and the kids who oftentimes are consistently looking like they're standing at a street corner, right? They don't, they don't engage in 100% of their, their battles. You know, those are the kids that in the long run, through the evaluators test, don't pass the compete standard. Right. Right. Mike, when you're talking about players with, with your head coach in Shreveport, Jason Campbell, when you're out in the rink evaluating them, how do you measure it? Is there a way to measure it? What does compete mean to Mike Gratton and the Shreveport Mudbugs? Well, I, I think, you know, probably the same thing that Steve did was he was sitting back and saying, how do I, you know, how do I define compete? It's, it's one of those things where, and there's a lot of these things in life when you think about it, they're, they're hard to describe, but they're really easy to see, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's hard to give a definition of certain things, but it, but it, it, it stands out in the game. Uh, and, and probably the biggest one is, and, and Steve alluded to it, 50-50 pucks. Well, there's a lot of pucks that aren't even 50-50 that guys will will let the opponent get to it first, uh, and then they'll go in and they want to have a hit or whatever. Uh, but competitive people want to win every battle. So they, they want to win the race to the puck, and you can win a race to a puck if you're a few feet behind. Uh, if you'll just skate a little bit longer uh, and not look for your teammates – to sort of be the first one in because, well, uh, I like to fill in and get the shot or pick up the puck off of a, you know, I can read the play really well. You know, Frank, we had some players in, in Aberdeen that uh, really smart kids and players that had to learn that when the game that requires me to be first, I'd be first. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that, and they were really good players. They had to learn that. So, uh, but naturally competitive people, they, they want to win uh, at every, at everything. Uh, and they put a lot of work into doing it. So I, I do think Steve brought a lot of the, the situations up that, that where you notice competitiveness. So I'll bring up one that is an example from way back when I started, and he's in the NHL now. Uh, his name is Sonny Milano. And all of the scouts and all of the people at the rink, uh, you know, we were, I was watching him closely. He was playing for Columbus, uh, and everybody knew that the next day, uh, Columbus was playing Bell Tire, and those at the U16 level, uh, that was the that was going to be a big matchup. And there's probably a couple players that played in that game that are playing in the National Hockey League now. Uh, Bell Tire was playing at the end of the day. Uh, Columbus had already played. Sonny Milano at 16 came to the game to watch his opponent for the next day. <clears throat> a few of his teammates were with him 
and they were goofing around the way the kids usually do when they stand by right. the glass or stand whatever. And, and in, on two different occasions, Sonny kind of, he didn't grab him, but he, he, he motioned to them, hey, settle down. We're watching this hockey game for real. Uh, now, I don't know if they were strategizing or they knew what they were watching, uh, but Sonny was watching that game with the intensity that you see in the eyes of the players playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's competitiveness. And again, hard to describe. It was not hard to see it in him uh, watching the game. And, and so any opportunity you have to see it and evaluate, you, you can see it in really competitive people. And he's playing in the National Hockey League now with the most competitive people in the world. Right. You know, it's interesting, Mike, you, you brought it up. There's a player that comes to my mind that we coached when we were working together. I used to get so mad at him at times when he came back to the bench because I didn't think he was working hard. But when we went back and watched the video, it's, it's actually that he was working smart. And he was way yes. smarter than me with my dress shoes on. He's the one out there on the 200 by 85 going through the actual game. Are, are there yep. situations where you've watched the player play, you've left the rink and said, the kid didn't compete very hard, but you're driving back from the rink you're stopping off to get a coffee and then it dawns on you. It's not that he wasn't working hard. He knew something I didn't. He was actually executing smart. Uh, I am sort of naturally drawn to those players. So I, I sort of, I don't want to call it an excuse. It's built in. Uh, you know, I value the player that is really competitive and competes really hard visually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also recognize that it's a society and some people have to compete really hard, (laughs) you know, just to be successful. Uh, Some of the brainier players that, that, that think a little bit more, uh, I usually pick that up. uh, And I usually like them because those things are harder to teach uh, for the staff. Right. So I just evaluate them a little different. But I will say this to all those players who are sitting there identifying themselves or listening to this saying, well, I'm that thinking player. Uh, The game does require that sometimes you pick up a shovel and you get Mm -hmm. digging. And that is a controllable element that you have to add to your game because you will not defeat the players that do the thinking and understand when they have to pick up a shovel. Uh, so you might as well learn when to pick it up now and get good at it because it is a, you know, not wanting to lose a race to the front of the net uh, or, or wanting to get there for a rebound or a tip in, you know, you, you could say, well, I don't get those kind of goals. Well, there's no reason why you can't get those kind of goals. So there is a, a competitive will issue. Yep. Uh, and the player we're talking about, he had that competitiveness, right? Uh, but he displayed it in a different way. And when did he get his Division I uh, commitment? It wasn't until he started to add to his right. game. There's nothing wrong with showing a little bit of yep. passion. Yep, I think we learned a lot from him, and hopefully uh, he learned a few things from us. Steve, I want to get your thoughts on that, but I also wanted to bring up the point. You know, you talked about face-offs. The longer I coach, and I see this overseas internationally with some of the work I do coaching in Europe – I don't know about you, but I can, I can typically tell the competitive nature of my team based on the center's body language. Like I've just, maybe it's just me. 
you brought it up. So I, I tend to think you're going to agree more with this than disagree, but I just feel like there's a correlation to the centerman's body language, the competitiveness of the center and the competitiveness of the team. So I, I want to let you build on that if you'd like, but I'd also like to get your thoughts to the, the sort of hard, smart path that, that we've gone down here over the last couple of minutes. Yeah. So in, in terms of that, your, your thought in terms of a center dictating, I think he dictates first off for that group of five or four out there on the ice. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean the player who is typically the center away from the dot. It's whoever is standing on the dot going to take that right, face off. Right. right? Cause they're like, and, and, and I, and I say that because they're, they're, I think at times there's a growing population of literal people who, you know, if, a, if it's not explained that way, sometimes the point is mm -hmm. missed. That individual who's over the dot going to take the, take the draw is, you know, the, the quarterback for that group at the start of their shift. And if they're lackadaisical more often than not, you know, it's going to be that way for the majority of that shift, mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I always, I talk to the, the players here in Nashville, right? Every face-off is an opportunity for us to earn the puck and make the other guys have to work harder to right. get it. And, th and that is the first mistake we want them making is, is losing that face-off. So, um, you know, I, and I do, I, I look out there and I, I will actually decide based on, you know, how I go. And this is both as a coach and as a scout, right? Like if that kid once in a while, it may happen, somebody makes a mistake or maybe the linesman moves a little faster than they're ready to go. I'll give you that. If it happens more than once, it's, it's becomes more of a consistency thing as a coach, those, that group comes off really quickly. So we can have a chat on the bench and talk about how much they value the puck right. or not. Um, as an evaluator, that certainly tells me a lot about that team. Cause it also tells me what the rest of that team is willing to put up. Mm -hmm. with. And I don't mean from the coach. I mean, from the players because, because compete, while, while we as coaches and scouts and people who run teams, we can blow that life into a team. The people who actually have to pick that bag up and run with it is actually the players. So they have to decide if they're going to be competitive people or not. And, and, and so I think that it speaks so much to it. I, I couldn't agree more. In terms of that, that hard versus smart path, you know, um, there is a difference, right? And, and, the there are people who work hard all the time and they don't work smart and they'll skate themselves out of position they'll skate themselves into a bad spot they'll 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 kind of kill a play because they're so busy working hard they're not thinking about the impact of how they're working right so so the ability to have that iq to process the game and understand like yes i might have the speed that uh, of a jet engine but do I know how to throttle it back at time to buy a little time to soften this spot so I can blow through that area, get to a puck and then make somebody pay with it. That, that the value is the game is speeding up. The IQ of the players has to continue to get better and better because it's not like, like we all like to play a fast, hard game, mm -hmm. but there has to be a significant part of smart in that game. If there's not enough smart, the game is just fast and dumb. Right. Right. Well, I will, I'll put a period at the end of the compete sentence by, by just saying this, and we could probably do a whole episode on just what competing <laughs> means, but uh, 
I tell players all the time, for me, competing is winning your races and your one-on-one battles. You'll be hard pressed to find something in the game. That's not a race and battle. And I would encourage every coach listening to define what compete means to your team. And I would encourage every player out there to define what compete means to you. My definition is winning races and battles. There's certainly no right or wrong. I would encourage each player and each coach really define what compete means and and how you're going to measure it. This is the inside edge podcast. It's presented by total package hockey. This is episode number one, catching the scouts. eye. I'm Francis Anzalone, chief operating officer for TPH and still a coach at heart. And I'm joined by uh, two of my favorite people in the game. I consider them friends, Mike Gratton, director of scouting for Shreveport in the North American league and Steve Jennings, director of player personnel for Aberdeen in the North American league. Ironically, the three of us actually work together at one point indirectly when Mike and I, uh, we were in Cedar Rapids at the time and Steve was uh, in Topeka and Cedar Rapids and Topeka were actually working uh, together to collaborate on players. And Steve, I can remember those, those calls we used to have and we used to have a lot of fun talk and shop and, and who'd have known, even though you guys compete against each other now, we, we still all get to work together and, and come together in situations like this to try to make hockey players better. And, and that's really what the goal of the virtual hockey development and this, this Inside Edge podcast is. Um, Mike, I want to go to you first. I want to give you the first stab at this next topic. You know, we hear scouts and GMs and coaches talk about the importance of you know, how you dress as a player, how you walk in the building, um, how, you, how you conduct yourself when you're warming up off the ice before the game and there's people around. Mike, to put it bluntly, do you really care about that? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I, I, I don't care what necessarily they what a player looks like in terms of you know, not everybody has the same ability financially to look a certain way. Uh, but we all have a way to carry ourselves. So every player knows what an NHL player walking into the rink looks like mm-hmm. the coffee, maybe the bag and the intense, that look of a person who's coming to work in a very competitive and intense situation. Now, you can look at the players that enter the building and know if they know how to come to work or not. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you know when your team is coming to work uh, in, in the right way or not. Now, there's, there's guys that are loose. There's guys that are intense. Mm-hmm. And, and you need a mix. You know, you need a mix of those people. So I don't read too much into that. But I can tell you when a player shows up to the rink, and he, and he enters the building like he's, like he's got a job to do, uh, like he's in a competitive situation. Uh, he's putting himself in the best position mentally to go in there and have some success. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the guys that joke around and even the guys that keep it loose, they're really important. But when you get to know them, there's usually an underlying uh, energy about them. So you can feel that when you, when you watch them. Uh, ultimately, I would tell you, listen, I care what you do in the mm-hmm. game. So I don't care how you, I don't care if you rode a horse into the building. If you don't, if you don't play, I, I don't care about those things. Uh, but you will, there is a correlation, I would say. Steve, what say you on this? 
Yeah. So uh, similar to Mike, I mean, a hundred percent, this matters to me, right? I do like, uh, I, I do like to get a glimpse of people, especially as I'm getting further and further down the trail of, of wanting to commit to a player for the, for the coming year. I actually do want to see what do they look like coming out, coming into the ring. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not all about suit and ties, right? It's, it's to Mike, to Mike's point, whatever the standard is for that team, there are some teams now who are traveling in sweatpants or, or track, track suits, right? There are, um, you know, some people are polo and dress pants, whatever the standard is, I'm okay with, uh, but it's about the appearance of that standard. And, you know, are you the kid walking in and you look like you slept in your clothes and your belt sideways and your pants are down? Right. shirts untalked and you know then you're sending that message that your presence and arrival doesn't really matter to you and and gone are the days where kids can just walk into the rink and flip a switch and go maybe maybe back in the 70s when i was a kid coming up maybe that worked but right now it doesn't work anymore right because everyone's competitive everyone's focused so yeah i want to see are you ready to come come to do your job Mm -hmm. and it kind of it's kind of hard sometimes to to talk to kids about their midget hockey or their prep school hockey or whatever is as a job. But if they have at least that mentality of that of this is a gift and a game I get to play, but I am going to treat like a passion of mine. And that comes out by how they walk through the lobby into the locker room. And it also comes out that travels right up the stairs and onto the ice. when they right. So, so that absolutely does. And the other thing that, that I really try to pay attention to when I am watching that is, how do those kids treat people around right, them right. and the facility, right? So do they come in looking like a bum with their hat backwards and then they spit on the floor? Well, that kind of tells me what they think about that place because I'm pretty sure that same kid's not walking into his own living room and spitting on the floor in front of his mom. Right, right. Right, so, so that stuff does matter for sure. You know, building on your point, one of the questions that I've started to ask players when I'm trying to learn more about them and – Mike, maybe this is corny, maybe it's not, is I asked them, if I asked your mother how you treat her, what do you think she would say? And I'll tell you, there's been some long pauses before some kids have given that answer. I, I don't know. That's, that's one I've, I've added to my repertoire, whatever that means. But... I think it's, I think it's a, it's just like, you know, do you hold to Steve's point? Like, do you hold the door for people? I, I think that says a lot about the individual and his brand or her brand. Does it not? Well, I I agree with you. And I, you know what I, you know what, Frank, I I've, I've been to dinner at your house uh, and we can ask ourselves the same question about our Mm -hmm. own parents, right? Because it's easy to, it's easy to take for granted, you know, some of the things that they do for you and they're just used to doing it for you as you get older and you're lucky enough to have them around. Uh, so I, I, I think you're asking them a great question because it's probably going to make them think about uh, how they do treat the people that are closest right. to them. Uh, oftentimes in our life, I think we end up treating the people that we're kind of chasing better than the people that have already kind of stuck with yep. them. Uh, and I think everyone could take that pause every once in a while and say, wait a second, uh, the people that are with me all the time, that, that's, what I'm, that's who I'm working for. When it gets hard, that's who I really am trying to, to be successful for. And the person I'm chasing or the job I'm chasing or the people I'm chasing to be, to be in that group with those people or uh, 
those aren't the people that I'm really working for. So I think that's a good question because of what it makes you think of. And we all fall into that. So I wouldn't judge a player too harshly if he didn't give me a great answer. I judge the player more harshly if his behavior did not improve after recognizing that. I, I think that's a good point, right, Steve? Like no one, no one is perfect. Yep. And, and, and part of the fun of working with players at this level is helping them along and, and, and dealing with the warts on their body and helping them get better. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the reason why, and I'm sure you guys have it there, right, where some of those guys 10 years down the road are still in contact mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the important part, right? Because we, you know, at the end of the day, we all do this not to make millions of dollars because nobody's getting paid big bucks in the North American League to do the player jobs that Mike and right. I are doing. But it is about the, the the ability to help somebody along their way on their path and help them. And that path is going to be in and out of hockey. So, you know, that's the that's the the beauty of this whole thing is having the ability to help somebody around that. No doubt. The last point I'll make on this topic, hockey players, the only thing I will say to you about how you walk in a building, and I am a hat guy, I love wearing hats, but please do not wear a baseball cap forwards or backwards with a suit. I, I don't claim to be a, a reader of GQ or, or a writer for, but that does not look good. Like, do not wear a suit and tie with a baseball cap, uh, you know, a beanie if it's cold out, a ski cap, whatever the heck they call it, guys. I mean, I know, like, the style today is to wear a hat with a suit. But, like, come on. When was the last time you watched a pro on TV wearing a baseball cap with a suit? Like, I don't know about you guys, but that's one of my pet peeves. Hockey players out there, don't do it. I don't think Mike and Steve are going to disagree <laughs> with me on that one. Judging by Steve chuckling in the background. Okay, good. That makes me feel good. It gives me confidence. Um Frank, I gotta disagree. Oh no! Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a John Madden guy, where where he says, "Hey, I, I nobody ever won a game because they wore a tie on the airplane." I, I agree with. Him. I know, but I'm not saying uh, that. I'm I saying agree. don't wear a baseball cap with your suit and tie. Is all I'm saying. Or don't wear a suit and tie. Wear a golf shirt with a baseball cap. Just don't don't wear a suit and tie with a Red Sox hat. Come on, you got to be better than that. Well, well wear a red wear a Red Sox, Sox because then, right. You should absolutely wear a Red Sox hat if you're going to wear a ball Very cap. Very good. And if it's draft day, you can wear you can wear a ball cap with your suit. There you for go. Sure. There you go. Okay, <laughs> Steve, I, I want to go to you on this because you know, and, and for anyone out there that, that that Steve actually does a real good presentation. He's he's done it on, uh, you know, for parents on on the process, and we we talk a lot about um, this this podcast and virtual hockey development being geared towards student athletes slash hockey players and their families. So Steve, let's talk about parents for a second. You've been doing this a while now. Have you ever ruled a player out for anything related to his or her parents? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Can you expand? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, when, when I, when I go and, and we, we see each other in the ranks and we'll have a little, little small talk, I, I tend to like to just get to a spot where I can watch uh, and, and, and be in the game and present in the game. Right. So that at times puts me in a spot where maybe I'm, uh, I'm not always hiding in the stands. I'm just in the stands. They'll fill up and things mm-hmm. like that. When a parent realizes 
maybe not the team I'm even working for, but just what I'm doing and why I'm there watching. And then they start to do the play-by-play and it's all around their kid or running down another kid on the team. Like those are the kinds of things where I don't, you know, a lot of times I will say like, you know, most kids have not selected their own parents. So they're, it's a, it's a consequence of birth. Um, But, you know, there is also that understanding, you know, like, okay, these parents seem to be a bit of a nightmare and that will, will be a conversation with the coach when I go meet with them to talk about a player and just, Hey, tell me about the family. And when I hear a little bit and I may say, I think I stood next to his mom or his dad, um, would that be right? And when they roll their eyes and they say, Oh yeah, you met so-and-so's parents for sure. Then, then I go, okay, like the kid will still be of interest to me, but I am also very willing at that point to, to trade that kid for another one of equal, maybe even a little bit less talent with a better character and less baggage on the back end. Cause the last thing in junior hockey we want to be dealing with is the young man who cannot fend for himself who all the communication comes from the mom right. and dad. They're the same people who will make, make it hard for us during the season to deal with that kid, but they'll also make it hard through the recruiting process as their son starts to advance because they will actually chase off schools. Like, And I can speak very clearly on a specific example in my background here, and I won't mention the individual or, or the year, but we had a player who was highly, highly successful. And by all, all counts, should have been a D1 mm-hmm. player. And that kid's dad single-handedly chased off pretty much every Division One team that started to step wow. around. Yep. Right? And, and, and he could have been a Division One player, and he did not play Division One hockey. Right. And, and, I, and I really say, like, you know, the, the, that's where the kid kind of paid a little bit of the price for his dad. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't mean the parents can't cheer for their kids. Like everyone has kids. We all root for them. We all want them to succeed. Like, that's great. But there is a way to do it in a constructive way. And even when people aren't happy, I think the best thing to do when you're not happy is just to be quiet. It's a good point, Steve. You know, silence is never a bad thing. Um, Mike, we'll stay on this topic. Same question. But I would also ask you if you're if you're comfortable uh, commenting on this, if not, maybe Steve can take a can take a stab. Um, situations, of course, where the where the where the parent has maybe turned you off, but also, do do you have a list of no nos that you can offer to parents? Like these are these are two to three things you should not do if you want me to like your son as a hockey player, as an athlete, and as a person or daughter as well. Well, I think the first – I could probably go on this for, <laughs> I for a long we time. We could go on that for a while. Uh, and, and I, I could, but, but I would probably go in directions that you guys would be really surprised. Uh, maybe not Francis, who knows me pretty well. Uh, the, 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 the first thing, just to answer your question for the do's and the don'ts, is the, the first thing is just realize there's not much you can do <laughs> that you haven't already done as a parent you you can't trick me into liking him or trick me into watching him or or subtly get me to 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 make any change changing of how i evaluate the player i just evaluate the player 
Now, in sticking with evaluating the player, I try not to evaluate the parents, but you do because you're human. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this for, for parents and for scouts, uh, I invite the players, the parents into the recruiting process uh, as much as I can. And I've done that more. And the reason why is parents ought to be and players ought to rely upon if they can. And if they're lucky enough to have parents that can help them make decisions. Frank, you still talk to your father about hockey yep. decisions, I bet. Uh, I still talk to mine about business decisions, not too much hockey decisions because he's not a was never really into to hockey that way. Uh, the input that you get from the people in your life is important. So I do think that hockey people uh, should do a better job of, uh, of including parents at the right stage. And the recruiting stage is the correct stage to invite a conversation. Uh, so I do that a little bit more now than I've ever done. Uh, I've not ever not yet made a move or reaction on a player because of their parents directly. And what I mean is at the beginning of the season, almost every team in our league has more players in town than they can carry. And parents who are not giving their player child the right advice and the right direction and the right help are putting their son at a disadvantage when the players are. The other thing I would say is you should learn as a parent how to communicate because I have heard this a million times about players not making a Division I program because of a parent. Players not getting shot at junior because of a parent. Because, and I'm not, I don't think that's correct, by the way. Okay? But it does happen. It does not happen with me. I will tell you this. Parents love their kids, and that makes them do stupid things. <laughs> well said. I think we can both agree with you on that yeah. one. I think everyone can agree that love makes everybody do right. something stupid uh, at one point or another. Well, parents love their kids. They're going to say something stupid. They're, they're going to do something stupid, and they might do a lot of things stupid. Try not to hold that against the kid. Uh, sometimes you have to, and I may have to here because I, you know, there's always some situation to deal with, especially well now with me giving this liberal answer. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, but I, I, I gotta tell you a, a player sitting around with the first instinct in the process when they're under pressure and they're dealing with being out of the lineup, the first person you blame is the coach uh, or, or the situation. And the first person you should blame is yourself because you're the only person who could do anything about it anyway. And I also can tell you the coach doesn't not like you players and fans and parents sometimes think that if the player doesn't play, the coach doesn't like it. It's not true. We trade people, we cut people, we bring in people. We like hockey players. We're hockey people. Uh, So we like you, but we're not playing you if we don't think you help us win. And we're not playing you if we don't think you deserve it. And sometimes some of the hardest cuts you make are people you really like. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Trades sure. that you make that yep. you, you like. You know, we've traded players the year we won in 2018. We had to make some trades of uh, to, 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 to make our team no touch better. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, 
you know, it, it's not about like. We like yep. them all. Uh, so you have to encourage your son to, to when, he, when he makes the list of why I'm not playing, the first three things had better be him, and you don't even need to work on four through the rest no, of them. No doubt. That's the right mindset, and that's, that's the thing. So what I will tell you is, parents, even if the coach doesn't cut your son because you're acting crazy, your crazy actions are dis- guiding your son away from success. And that's incorrect. And many, many, I have seen many players not make it because they could not overcome bad guidance and they were trying to outcompete somebody who was getting wonderful Steve, guidance. Steve, I'll... Uh... Hey, can I can I just can I just add one I, little point? I was going to say thing, I'll, I'll, I'll I, give you the last word, but I also I, I want you to segue us, if you don't mind, into the next topic relevant to this. Like, I mean, have there been have there been situations sure. where a positive interaction or a positive appearance of a parent has put you over the top on a player? Yeah, for sure, and, and I think Mike Mike really hit the nail on the head, right? So the parents do need to be involved in this process. It's not about that, right? When we talk about that, it's not about the parents. Hey, they're, they're the ones who have bought the equipment, paid the bills, driven the car, all that sort of stuff for, for years. So it's really about the role as we get to this point. As, as everyone talks about, hey, I want an advisor, I need an advisor. Like for, for every hockey player out there, you have, you have, you know, your parents are, should be the first advisors you have. Well said. And your coaches. But but having a having a kid whose parents will listen to the conversation and will guide their their kids through the whole hey maybe these are the kinds of questions and letting letting them kind of help the their sons uh, lead that conversation with their coach or the scout who's recruiting them that's the important thing right so I can always tell when somebody has a good relationship there because they're asking very what I would say kind of adult questions as a seventeen year old let's say. Um, but that, that to me says that's a family that's thinking about this thing. And the kid is being allowed to, even if the mom and dad are still on the phone, because I do talk to the parents and I want to talk to the parents. It's just about in the right, in the right context, right? Very first conversation, I typically handle with the player and his coach. When we go further down the road, I absolutely want to have the family in there because it is a, we, we look at our team like I think a lot of successful teams do. I know you guys in Shreveport do. Is It's all about the family side of things. Like you, you got to think of your team as an extended family. And until you do, you're, you're not going to have a very good team. Um, but in terms of, in terms of the, the parents putting it over the top, for sure, I've seen that as well. And little things like – you know, I, I go back to when I lived out out on the East Coast, and I was I was driving up and down there. And we, Scott and I were working in Topeka, and you know, there was there was one boy I remember very very clearly. Um, you know, he and I had been in contact. I drove down from from where I lived in in uh, the northeastern part of Pennsylvania down to D.C. to watch, and you know, it was pretty clear from the from kind of my body language and our conversations that although I'd had a lot good conversation with that kid uh, it was really a different kid on the team that I was now more interested in and that kid's dad couldn't have handled that conversation any better and actually made me work hard to actually find a solution okay. for his kid as well right like where you know it's unfortunate those are going to happen right you, you're pursuing somebody it's just like you know anything sometimes you get close and 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 close isn't it but but his dad was so constructive in it and receptive and appreciative of the feedback and the honesty and then and then i couldn't help but pick up the phone and help try to try to land that kid 
mm-hmm. not with us, with right. another team. Right. Yep. No question. It's a, and, and the other thing too, for families to remember is, is what a small world this is and what a front porch industry uh, hockey really is. So good little conversation there on the role of the parents, because I think we can all agree that, that whether big or small, the families, the parents do play a role in, uh, in the evaluation process minimally as a, as a small box to check. This is the inside edge podcast. This is episode one, Catching the Scout's Eye. Uh, I'm Francis Anzalone, joined by 2018 Robertson Cup champion and director of scouting from the Shreveport Mudbugs, Mike Grattan, and 2019 Robertson Cup champion and director of player personnel for the Aberdeen Wings, Steve Jennings. And I think most people out there that follow junior hockey would agree that the, the Wings were trending towards being back in the dance again this year. Unfortunate how the season had to end with COVID-19, but but here we are joining forces. We all work for TPH. You guys compete against each other on the NAHL scale, but the one thing we have in common is we're trying to make hockey players better. I always enjoy talking to you guys. I'm jacked that we can, we can do it in this type of a format. And, and, and to everybody out there listening, please give us some feedback on, on this podcast today. Uh, guys, I want to keep it going because I have a couple more uh, topics that I think I think are good for us to tackle. I think we all agree we're going to have to get back together again and do potentially a part two or a part three. The one thing I would say about Mike and Steve is it, the, the title of this is Catching the Scout's Eye, but both Mike and Steve are heavily involved in the building of the actual team. These guys don't just evaluate talent, but they work with their head coaches and GMs. In the case of Aberdeen, Scott Langer, uh, and the case of uh, Shreveport, uh, Jason Campbell and uh, Scott Musket, the GM there, in, in building the 23-man squad. So these guys just don't plug player reports into RinkNet. Uh, these guys build the actual teams. Um, Steve, I'll go to you first on this. You know, you've been at this a while. Um, what is a quality, okay, that you look for in a player that our audience today might be really surprised you value? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So I thought about this one, you know, you'd give me some some thoughts about things we would talk about. And I, I had to think a little bit about this one, right? And it, and it was obvious because it came to me in the first 10 seconds and I threw it away, right? Um, but it is tried and true, I think, from the very first time I started scouting players and stuff, right? Shot blocking. Okay. It's okay. a dumb answer, Right. But I think it is such a character revealing thing, right? And it doesn't mean that you actually block a shot. It's that willingness to give it a try and an honest try. Because there's lots of kids out there who are pretty good at the, uh, at the pretend to try to block the shot, but I don't really come anywhere near it. And therefore, I, I avoid the boo-boo that comes with, it, with that. But I think that is a, a, such a testament of a kid's willingness to compete and be a team guy, right? And you don't have to be skilled or you don't only have to be an underskilled player to do that. Every single kid on the ice has the ability mm-hmm. to block no a question. in a game. It's that choice, right? And when, when I sit and I start talking about conversations that I'm going to have with Scott later about a kid and tell me about him, what do you see and all of that stuff. That is one of those things where it is, it checks the grit box. It, it checks the family, the team box. It checks so many of those, 
little boxes and it hasn't changed since day one. When I go back to, you know, going into the, going into, you know, the first games and I look at some of my notes and my, my wife gets mad at me because I'm a <laughs> bit of a pack rat and I yeah. have some notes going back years, but I can still find that note consistently like that a kid will block a shot wow. or won't. And, 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 and I think it's surprising because people say, well, I, I do care very much about whether you can catch a pass, make a pass, you know, finish a play, start a play, score a goal, that sort of thing. But I always care and I always pay attention to, will you block a shot? And, it, and you may not actually block a shot. Will you give it a try? Will you make somebody else have to change the way they play the game because of your willingness to be such a team guy? So Mike, for, for Steve, what, what gets the check mark that families might not think about or players might think about, not think about is uh, shot blocking. Um, what's, that, what's that quality or, or that thing you value that, that folks listening here today or players listening here today might say, man, you know, uh, Mr. Jennings or Mr. Gratton said that. I really need to think about adding that into my game. What, what is it for you? Well, I, I, to me, some of the, all of the items in the game are important, that, that you're willing to do the job that is in the game. But I, I will go off of the ice for this. Uh, and this is to where we start. I, I think a lot of players don't realize how many players we, we watch more closely. You know, there's a lot of players that we get notes on or that we watch. And so what we do then is we get into communicating with mm-hmm. players. And I'll tell you something that I have seen more and more and more. It always goes this way. Players that don't do what they say they're going to do. And what I mean is usually in the, in the context of me is a text message or a phone call or responsiveness. Uh, they just almost always don't work out mm. or fail somewhere along the way. Uh, a guy that said, if, if, if I tell a player I'm calling you at 7, I'm calling you at 7 o'clock on the nose. Almost every time. And almost every time where the player did not answer the call at 7 o'clock sharp. For whatever reason, they almost always, always have some problem where they don't work out. I don't know why, but do what you say you're going to do or don't say you're going to do it. And when you say you're going to do it, make sure that it makes sense. And, and that timeliness, uh, I, I still go through it because some, sometimes you just have a weird thing happens. I get that. Uh, but more often than not, when a player does not communicate or is not timely, it does reveal something that for some reason ties back to them not going to be. Steve, is, is Mike being too hard? Is he setting too high of a standard there? And I, and, and I want to bring up and, and guys, I don't want to go too far off the rails with the topic of like open camps. But, you know, the, the, the one thing we hear from hockey players and families is how they get bombarded, sometimes borderline spammed with camp invites. But, you know, building off of Mike's point, like, you know, number one, your thoughts on it, but like number two, I mean, should you reply to every email you get, even if it's a deep dear player email, even if it, if it feels like a mass email, like, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the points that Mike, the the points that Mike just made? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a a dual dual tiered answer, right? I think Mike's points a hundred percent on, right. When, when you have that direct contact with the coach and they say, 
hey, and I do this with kids, right? I, I used to sit there and have the kids write in my notebook and all that stuff. A lot of times now I'll give them my card and say, listen, just send me a text with your number and, and your email and I'll get back with you. Don't worry, coach, I'll do it. I love the kids who I can barely get to the lobby to get a coffee and they've already mm-hmm. done it. Versus the kids a week later, you know, I send them a note or I'll reach back out to their coach. Hey, can I have so-and-so's contact? I, I asked him to reach out to me. He hasn't, right? That, that is a bit of a concern uh, for me, for me as well. Right. Um, in, in terms of like the emails from teams, right. The, like, so I, I say this to, to the kids who play for me here in Nashville. Right. So um, there are times when I will be pressed, let's say I have some other work going on and I might actually use the, the office in Aberdeen to send, Hey, here's an email. Can you send this? And I do want to follow back up with the kid. Uh, so they may get what appears to be a spammy kind of generic email, but it's it's initiated by me based on our contact. I think that's different than the team where I've never heard from you. I'm not aware that you've ever even seen me in the building. You've sent me an email. I don't know that those are necessarily uh, emails that you have mm-hmm. to reply to all of those. I, I think as a player, a great thing, and, and, and players are foolish if they ever cut their coaches out of this whole process. Right. Right. So, hey, coach, I got an email from such and such a team. Are you aware that they were in the building to see us play at all? They may find out, oh, yeah, I talked to that guy and I just talked to him a week ago and gave him your number. Oh, that's a great conversation. So maybe you should go back versus, no, I've never seen them. I'm not even aware that anyone from that league was ever down to watch one of our showcases, tournaments or games. So I I think there is a little bit of differentiating that level of response. I'll tell you this, like, I don't have time, honestly, to keep a list of all the kids I ever sent uh, an email to that didn't Mm -hmm. respond. I do have, I do have a memory, though, of kids that I was really interested in, and that I sent a note to, and they didn't bother to respond. And I'm okay with even, coach, thanks for the interest. um, But I've already made commitments or a plan to go to such and such a team or a different league or I'm going to go back and play another year midget. Like, mm. Let's stay in touch. Like that's the easiest thing. And that email takes 30 seconds. Right. 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 And, and it's a very professional thing. And I also will say like, Hey, I'm, I, I'm not innocent of this. There are times when I get an email that comes to us in Aberdeen and I lose track of it. And I try to go back periodically and go through, did I get to all the emails? And if I find one, I'll send back a note. Hey, I'm really sorry. Like I didn't reply to you right away. Here's what's going on. Like we all try to be as good as we can, but for kids, like when you're early in this process and you want to be the hunted one, you should be happy that somebody's hunting you. Even, even if it's not the ideal location for you and everyone who's hunting you should be your friend. And they're at least worth it. I, 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 I wasn't really talking about the the. I was not talking about the camp general. Yep, go ahead, Mike. Not personal. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about when when you've met somebody, and even when you've had a relationship for a while. Uh, and I, and I'm not saying oh I go away from the player. What I'm saying is, uh, what I've noticed as a correlation is even if you end up signing a player who's not a great communicator, okay? Uh, For some reason, if people cannot get around the communication issue, they Mm. they seem to struggle 
And, and that's what I'm pointing out now mm. on the emails and the camps, things like that, where, where you're being invited by, by, you know, a robot or, or a, an automated program or office staff. I, I think parents and players have to be very careful about how they respond and if they respond and, and all those things, if you're spamming and those kinds of things where you expect a, a return, that's different to me. Okay. Uh, and I'm not a fan of that stuff, but we've all been involved in doing it for camp to, to try to get people to the camp. And again, this could probably be another <laughs> Don't, yeah, it, you, might sure. be, you might be reading my mind. <laughs> it, it is I, on the list, not tomorrow, but it's on the list. Yeah. And I, I'd really like right. to help people with camps because I think that camps get a bad reputation because a lot of times they deserve it. And, and, Everybody gets a bad reputation. You know, you got players that sign up and cancel. Uh, that's negative. You got, you've got, uh, you know, people don't understand what they're paying for when, when they pay to go to the camp. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of misconceptions around the camp. And, and I'll let this go because it is a whole other conversation. But I will say this. I have read all kinds of negative things about camps. And negative things about things like that. And Steve, you could answer this too. Not one of those journalists has ever called me and my name has been on the camp invite as the main person for like five or seven years now. And I've never got one call from a, a journalist to say, what's, what's with the camp hmm. process? Why? I, I, but you see the articles that are negative about them and they're not making bad points. A lot of them are good points, but I think they're miscommunicating to parents and people and they're not really going in there with the right mindset. And if you don't go into it with the right mindset, you can't get anything out of it. So uh, I think it's a lot of disservice what it is. And some of it's uh, the hockey side's fault, but some of it's the, the other people's fault. And again, Steve, have you ever gotten a call from no. a, a person who write, writes those articles? No. And, and, you know, the, and I get the spirit behind some of those things. Uh, but, you know, from, from having been in, in big and small um, camps, like I, I just tell you, like the people who, who write those things sometimes don't understand the level of work that goes into executing them. And then also trying to evaluate those kids and give them honest feedback when they come back. Right. right? Cause that's the other part of this. No, but yeah, we could, we could, we could, they don't we, ask. Yeah, we could we could for sure go through that. And a lot of times, like, you know, I, I've read the same articles you have, Mike. And, and honestly, I kind of think, like, it's not even worth trying to change these people's opinions because they won't listen. And there and there is yeah. also a backside of what they're trying. No to doubt. Do. It is an important Just topic. It and it's a topic that we will we will dive into at a at a later date, uh, because uh, I know that it's a choice that a lot of players have to make. What camp do I go to? How many do I go to? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Mike, Steve, plug your phones in. We're going to keep going a little bit longer. There's two or three uh, more topics that I want to make sure we tackle. This is the Inside Edge podcast, episode number one, Catching the Scout's Eye. Uh, Mike Grattman and Steve Jennings are joining me. Uh, I've actually been real fortunate. Uh, I've, I've worked for uh, Steve's ownership in Aberdeen, the Odie family, first-class owners, and I've been fortunate to work for Mike's owners in Shreveport, uh, specifically Tommy Scott, Scott Musket, and the Mudbugs. I've been very fortunate to work for both organizations. And uh, uh, please believe me when I tell you, whether you know my background or not, these are two of the best in the game today at any level. 
And if I was back coaching at a real high level, these would be the two guys I would call to work alongside me. And I'm very fortunate in TPH. We have Mike and Steve bonded together by their involvement with TPH. Uh, Steve is the director of hockey ops for TPH Nashville and the head coach of the Nashville Junior Predators 18U team. And uh, Mike uh, supporting our TPH operation uh, in Shreveport. Uh, guys, you've both been around, around a long time. Mike, I'll start with you just because we kind of went through it together. Uh, we've known each other now for, what, my God, 13, 14 years. Uh, you came into Cedar Rapids as a regional scout when I was an assistant coach back in 2010. Um, you've come a long way. You've, you've been very successful. Um, Mike, what is something, you know, because players go through a process, you know, you – you get better, you know, you start out, you don't know what you don't know. You go through the process, you improve, you get older, you get wiser, you look back on your career and you say, my gosh, if I knew then what I knew now, Mike, what's something back in 2010, 2011, 2012, whether we were in Cedar Rapids or Aberdeen or even, even now in Shreveport, what's something you know now that you wish you knew then something, you know, something maybe you valued back in the day that you don't so much value now. I realize that's a huge topic. You can go a lot of different directions with it, but I think it's important for hockey players and families to hear something, something you valued then that maybe you don't value now because you're a little older, wiser, and more experienced, and you're going through the same process that the kids are going through. Well, uh, you know what? Here, here's what I, what I think. A, a lot of my values, probably by the time I started, were, were pretty set, and I, I still think I value them all. Uh, so I, I don't know if the values... I don't want to say the values have changed. They've leveled off, uh, you know, to where I, I might value something a little more, something a little less. You know, one, one really easy thing is I, I love playmakers, okay? When I first started this back then, I can't tell you how many goals I missed because I'd see I, I the play and I'd be like trying to find a note. And, and I love the playmaker. And then I missed the goal. And uh, so I had to learn you know, to, I had to learn to, to watch the games a little different. And, and, you know, cause you had some of the teams I constructed where all, all we'd make plays all night long, but we couldn't finish them. And it was like, what happened? Well, well, I went out and got a bunch of playmakers. Now I like watching that hockey game, uh, but that doesn't mean it's, it's a complete team, but I would never say that I value mm -hmm. them less. Uh, I just value the ones that, that, they're mm -hmm. one part of a reaction. <laughs> and if you don't have the other chemicals to go with them, they, they can be very frustrating. Uh, so I would say <laughs> I, I, I've changed in that. And here's the other where, where I've changed. Uh, we've always done, and this is you and Mark Carlson probably the most, and Coach Winner, the, the level of detail required and demanded of, of background work on the player. And there's you, you discover things that 
maybe are troubling or difficult about a person or or red flags, if you want to call them that. I used to think those were ways you disqualify mm-hmm. players. And they're not ways you disqualify players. We're, we're working with people who are far too young to be disqualified uh, unless they really do. So I called, I talked to Jason Campbell a lot and I'll say, listen, now, unless he kills somebody, we don't want to be too hard on. Uh, my point is that they're not, it's not necessarily about disqualifying. It, it's about understanding the areas that they need to work. And, and it was a moment that Scott Musket helped me get to when he said, you know, we're mm-hmm. not just here to develop hockey players. Right. We can develop them as people as well. And when you look at it that way, then you don't become so nervous about a, a minor, a mi- and I'm talking minor things. I'm not talking about running a, you know, crime rate, but minor things I'm, I'm much less, uh, I'm much less concerned right. with, but I want to know them because if you know them, you can help. And it, it'd be like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to develop my goal score into a better back checker. Well, why wouldn't you? He's not going to make it up if he doesn't do that. So uh, we want to develop people on and off the ice and, and, so that's really the Steve. I, I want to give you a chance to respond, but I, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Like I, I say it to coaches all the time, you know, if he's not a great kid or he has some flaws, like just tell me. So I'm not surprised. And, and I know what I need to be ready to work with him on, on day number one, that, that, that that's, if there's any coaches out there that, want to help get their players to the level that Mike and Steve are at. Like just my personal thought, please be honest about the player, even the negative. It might not rule. It might not rule him or her out. It just might help the staff be better positioned to help the players. So Steve, I wanted to make that point and then, and then give you a chance to respond to the question. Something, something, you know, now that you didn't know then or a quality that you valued then that you, you may not value as much now because you too have grown and evolved. Yeah, and I, I think mine's a little bit how the okay. how the game has evolved as well, right? Um, I, you know, it, and you got to remember. So I've been uh, working in the North American League for fifteen plus years. So back in the day, you know, part of that was it was a, fighting was an essential part of the game, and. Depending on who you played, if you went up by two goals, your goalie was going to get run over and you were going to have three fights before the end of the period. Um, that doesn't happen really anymore. So, you know, th- there were actually days, guys, when I would be out on the road and I would have to find kids who were willing to fight and kids who were good at fighting because they were that was going to be such a big part of the game. And now, you know, it, it's not as important for me. Um the compete us around when things get gritty and you know I, I i would say gritty and crappy use a different word typically but when they get that way somebody who's at least willing to stick in there and stick up for his teammates that's the equivalent of that right now so that has totally morphed right i mean i um it's just the game is shifting which is great 
our need to shift as a scout is going as well, right? The way we build our teams, we're not having to find multiple kids who are going to be content to go out and fight. And we had some, some unbelievable kids who were great fighters and turned into outstanding human beings. And I can think of three of them while, while I'm going through there. And I love those guys and I'm still in touch with them. It's great. Um, but there's not really that same place in the game for those guys. They, the, the, the kids who can actually play the yep. game are really important for us. Right. So that, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, when, when I come, I, I agree with Gratz, like the, the, the values I think haven't fundamentally changed. Maybe the priority right. of them have changed, right. Or the sequencing of them have changed. And, and, and that's really the important thing. And I, and I, and I will, I do want to touch on what you, what sure. you close that Gratz part with. Right. Every kid has a flaw. Right. Some are too intense. Some are too smart. Some are some aren't engaged enough. Some come from, you know, families where they where they're, you know, helicopter parents. Some come with from families where their parents aren't really involved. Like every kid has some sort of a flaw. And I think for us, understanding who they are uh, allows us to so go, you know, as a staff, when we're going through going, that's not a big deal. We've had you know, player X, Y, and Z over the last three or five years who we've taken through similar things. And that's great because we do owe it to the kids to, to not just win hockey games on their backs. It's, it's uh, developing them as people and helping them grow on and helping them as people actually helps them as hockey players. They become better mm -hmm. hockey players because mm -hmm. they're better people. So, I, you know, I think, I think the more we talk about, excuse me, that, that the challenging side that, it, that a player might bring into the locker room with them and really, Hey, are they receptive to feedback on that? Cause that's the important thing. If they're going to be coachable on how to win a face off, are they going to be coachable on how to be better in life? Probably. You know, it's, it, it's interesting just to bring this conversation full circle. You know, the one area for me that I've really adjusted over the years as I've gotten older and hopefully smarter and, and wiser and better at this is, is my definition of the term character. And, and this is a mistake I think I made on a self-evaluation earlier in my career. Um, quite honestly, you know, Steve, when, when, when I was working in Aberdeen, I, I think my definition of character was a little off. You know, if you hold the door for people, if you say please and thank you, if you follow curfew, that's extremely important. And I think every player, Mike, Steve, and I, I know you guys would agree should strive to do that. But if you don't play with character, you know, if you don't understand the importance of defending your home ice, if you don't understand the importance of making sacrifices, Steve, to your point, blocking shots, like if you don't play with character, it actually doesn't matter, in my opinion, how much character you have because you won't be relevant. You, you, you won't be in the conversation. You won't be in the mix. So the one thing I would add to this conversation, I know I'm technically the host, but, but, but humor me. Um, as a hockey guy, the, the one thing I would, under, I would add is just the, the, the definition of character, like what it means, what it doesn't mean. And, and Mike, I really think all hockey players out there listening today should, should nobody's perfect, but your bar that you set you should try to do both. You should try to live with character, play with character, and recognize, Mike, that, you know, you may fall a little bit short, but if you try, 
that's really good and you're ahead of most. Yeah, yep. you have to be working on it. And, uh, and that's really important from this perspective of the whole society. And I, I can tell you right now, at, at 44 or 43, uh, I have work to do on all those things. Uh, I don't, you know, maybe you guys don't, but I obviously, if I still do, where was I at back then? So, you know, you try to look at people in your life that have gone first, been older than you. Uh, life has a way of polishing you. Uh, I do think it's important to be striving to get there. Uh, I think it's important one to be to be hard on yourself when you when you fail, uh, but also to get back at it and not let that become a cycle of failure or a cycle of things where well I can't redeem myself. Well, mm -hmm. you know, yes you can, and you should work on it. That's the thing that is really important is to be working on it and you learn that in hockey you won't always maybe have hockey in your life but hopefully you will we've been all very lucky to be to be still a part of it as we've gone and had different jobs and different careers uh it, it is part of our life's work but uh that that thread of trying to get better that's important steve not no to sound like a you know a stereotypical host but 20 to 30 seconds. I'll give you the last word on that one. <laughs> I, I don't know what else I add, okay. honestly, that Mike hasn't, right? But it's that ethic and that commitment. Like to get better, to get better in life, you get, right? You have to have the same attributes as to get better as a hockey player. Kids don't get better these days without working, right? Um, like it's just gone, right? So, so I think Mike hit the nail on the head. I don't want to just. Okay. Guys, last question. I think we all agree that we're, we're going to have to do this again and take a deeper dive into some topics that, that, that student athletes, hockey players and families uh, want us to dive into. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Steve, I'll start with you. Um, last question of, 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 of the episode here today, catching a scout's eye. Um, you know, what are one, two, three things, just to sum this all up, if a hockey player wants to play for the Aberdeen Wings, if a hockey player wants to be noted by Steve Jennings, what's one, two, or three things that he can do? And I'd ask you to maybe take into account, Steve, the current situation we're in now where, where you know, players are, you know, they're not competing in front of you. They're, you know, there's kids that are registered for your camp right now that are, that are probably wondering if you're going to have it or not. And you, you don't know. We don't know. Shreveport doesn't know. No one knows. What can kids do to catch your eye every day, but especially right now? So I, I think it's – so right now it implies right. there's no hockey going on, right? So simple little things. Send me a note. Let me know you're interested, right? Like give me the important stuff. I don't need to know your stats back <laughs> to peewees. Yeah. Three or four sentences. Who who am I? Right. What what kind of player am I? That tells me you understand your identity as a player, right? When when you know, I, I do care about your numbers. We all do, but it's your numbers plus your identity, right? Because if I'm a defensive, if I'm a defensive defenseman, mm. I'm not expecting you to have sixty points, right? So if you understand who you are and can articulate that, that shows me a level of maturity of you 
understanding who you are because you'll also understand how you fit into the next family of a team that you go to. Right. So, so, so express some interest, offer me a little bit of video. Right. I don't want to watch entire games. And I also don't want to watch a, a 40 minute highlight reel, but show me a couple of clips that demonstrate who you are versus what you say you are. So if you say you're a, 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 a North South power forward, show me that. Show, show me a couple of clips of that because that's going to make me get on the phone with you. And these are the conversations I'm having with my own players here in Nashville as mm. we're trying to work on some placements there, right? I'll say this. When we get back out of our houses and we get back into a rink and we are at camp or tryout time or even next year during your season, simple little things you can do, right? First off, don't worry about who is or is not in the building because most of us right. aren't advertising right. that we're there. Understand that this game is a gift, right? Treat it as it, hockey is a get-to game. I get to go play hockey every day. You should have that attitude whether you're going for off ice, on ice, or a game, right? It's a get-to thing. Nobody's holding a gun to you. Nobody's stealing you out of your house, making you be a hockey player. You get to play yes. hockey. So with that in mind, be the best version of you every time you go to the rink or to the gym, right? Work. Be you, be honest, right? Because it's a, it's a gift. And I think we're all understanding that now, like how many of us right now would give anything to go back and get on the ice and skate or skate a lap or two on a quiet rink. We'd all, would all love to be there. Right. So, so be the best version of you when you're out there, the best version of you compete, be a pro, treat the people. Well, those little things all add up, but like, don't try to be what you're not in a trial or in a, in a, a game setting because your mm -hmm. favorite team's there. Right. Once you try to be what you're not, it's uh, the surest way to fail. So just it, be who you are and be the best version of you. Every Mike, time there are play. players out there that that want to be mud bugs, but they're they're not sure how to let you know, especially now. How do they let you and the staff know that they're interested? And again, especially right now where. Things are different. Yeah, I, I think Steve covered a lot of ground that, that I agree with. And, and I, you know, me personally, a text message is the best way to get me. Uh, but the content that Steve's talking mm -hmm. about, a text, an email, this is, hey, you know, I understand. I'm looking for this. Uh, if you need to see me, a, a little bit of video is great. Uh, and, and Steve touched on something I think is really, really important. Uh, it's really important that the player and, and you won't be accurate when you start this. It's really important to know as a player what you are, because people who understand what they are, get your beep button ready. It, it, it's really hard to bullshit somebody who knows what they are. And when you in your in any area of life. Mm -hmm. OK, so as you as a player, you have to develop a skill of knowing where you are. And there's another important thing about knowing where you are. It's how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to go. Uh, people do not like to be lost except in self-evaluation. And it, and it hurts a lot of people's development as people, professionals, players, uh, husbands, wives, whatever. They don't want to know where they are because they're afraid it mm -hmm. might not be a great place. But if your cell phone when you put your cell phone on and you type in directions, the first thing it knows is where is it? You know where you are. 
and then it can tell you how to get there. Mm. If you as a hockey player, if you as a person, a son, a daughter, a player, uh, a husband, a wife, if you refuse to find out where you are, how are you going to get to where you want to go? You can't do it. So learn about yourself. Mm. And that's so you can improve, right? So it's really important, I think, to, for players to help figure out where they are. So how can they catch uh, our eye? Well, look, send us the video. Send us a note. Send us a text. Uh, Coach Campbell likes to watch video in the summer. Yep. Uh, we're also, some of us are bored because we're not getting to go to the rink. We're not getting to go to nationals. We're not getting to watch our teams in the playoffs. And we're not getting to pre-scout the other teams in the other series. So, you know, we have time to do these things now. Uh, and, and that would be the way I, I fill in with what Steve said. Super. Well, it's hard to put a period at the end of this sentence. Guys, this was great. I think we're coming up on somewhere around 90 minutes. It went a lot longer than I thought it would go. At the same time, I'm, I'm not surprised because I, I think you have two to three guys on this call that uh, are very passionate about the player development and the player procurement process. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the time here today. This was a, a fantastic, in my opinion, inaugural first episode of the inside edge and catching the scout's eye. Uh, we're going to have to get together again, the three of us, and, and take a deeper dive into a variety of topics, whether it's camps, whether it's some of the other items on my list here today that we, we didn't get to, or topics that you, the listener, want to hear about, want to get these guys' thoughts on. Please let us know your feedback, positive, negative, or otherwise, on episode number one of, of The Inside Edge. Thanks so much to everyone out there for listening. To all the hockey players out there, I leave you with this. And this will be our sign-off line, hopefully, for future episodes. Remember, you control your work ethic, your preparation, your attitude. So take ownership, even in these difficult, uncertain times. Have a great day.